It is a blessing to be with you here today. Introduce my wife, Julie, back in the back right there. We have been married for 35 years, believe it or not. And I know what you're thinking. Brother Derek, you look so young. How could, you don't even look 35. How could you be married 35 years, right? Is that what you were thinking? Okay, you're a good man. Give him a higher grade on his next exam, all right? We got married in the third grade. That's how come we, we look so young, okay? So I don't suggest that for any of you, okay? But that's what happened. But a uh, blessing to be here with you. And by the way, when I think of Brother Daniel, I think of him at your age. So when I see him now, it's like, well, who is this guy? I'm thinking of him when he was your age and when they had come to Lithuania there to serve. And we had a blessed time there. Well, listen, I want to share with you all today a little bit about our ministry in Ukraine right before the war. And then how God has taken that and has opened doors that we could have never dreamed towards the gospel during a very horrific time, a terrible time. But yet doors that are open to the gospel of Christ. And you just don't know how the Lord is going to work how he's going to open doors, what he's going to do. But we know this, he is working in the earth today. Souls are still being saved, for which we give him praise. And we just need to follow him. As he leads on our knees, we follow him for his glory and for his praise. So we're going to share some pictures here. Do we got those ready to go, guys? And uh, all right, I'm going to stand over here to the side so I can kind of see them as we go through. But this is our cover of our prayer card. And if you'd like a prayer card, Julie has some in the back. I welcome you to go get one. We would covet your prayers. All right. For Ukraine and for our ministry. Go ahead and go to the next one here. You see a little girl holding the heart. And the heart here is the colors of the Ukrainian flag, the blue and the yellow, right? The gold. Anybody know what those colors stand for? Yes, sir. That's right. The blue is for the heavens above, and the gold is for the harvest, the harvest of grain, the sunflowers. They are one of the top producing uh, grain companies or grain countries in the world. In fact, uh, some it, but during Soviet times, it was called the breadbasket of the Soviet Union. And even now, you'll hear people refer to it as the breadbasket of Europe. So by the way, right now with the war and what's taking place there, Mr. Putin, I believe, also is trying to manipulate the world food. You've seen, I've seen uh, videos with harvesters, Ukrainian harvesters out in the field trying to harvest and the fields were set on fire. You can see the fire behind them as they're trying to get what they can before the fire destroys it. I've seen pictures of tractors that were in harvesters out in the field where they had set mines. Russian soldiers had set mines in the field and tractors had hit those mines. I've been told of snipers, Russian snipers that would shoot farmers as they were trying to harvest. So very difficult time. Even right now, if you've been uh, seeing in the Black Sea, making it very difficult for Ukraine to export their harvest. And one of the top countries that uh, took uh, food from Ukraine was China. Another one was uh, Israel. But even a lot of the African, the poor African countries, if there is no harvest, you're already going to see food prices going up a little bit for wheat products. And that's because of what's happening in Ukraine. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Here you see a grandmother, Ukrainian grandmother, holding some cabbage out in the field there. And you see the smile on her face. And I love this picture because in general, Ukrainians are very gracious, happy-go-lucky people. They're not real intense. Uh, I don't mean this in a negative way, but they're not real super driven to them. I would say relationships are more important. And so many times they'll invite you into their homes uh, for coffee or for tea or to speak. And uh, in many of the churches, when they're saying, 
saved. You'll hear some of the greatest music in churches, uh, in Ukrainian churches, and they sing with such joy. So we praise God for that and, and for the Ukrainian people. Next, next picture here. This is a picture of Kiev, the city, capital city. Anybody know how old the city is? 900 years, that's a little bit older than Milwaukee, right? It, it is about 2,000 years old. So it's a very ancient city. It was on the, uh, the Vikings had a trade route that went right down the, Nep the Dnieper River. And uh, that's where Kiev was founded about 2,000 years ago. And uh, there is a saying, uh, if you want to upset a Russian, you can remind them of this, that Kiev is the mother of Moscow. So Kiev is much older, and uh, I would make the argument that really uh, that culture and Russian, the, even the language, it, kinda, it comes from Ukraine. But don't tell them that part unless you want to get in a fight, all right? Go ahead and go to the next one here. But that was the city to which God called us to start a church, to plant a church, a Living Hope Baptist Church of Kiev. This was a picture from our uh, time there at Christmas. We had two services on Sunday morning. We had a Ukrainian-Russian service at 10 o'clock, and then at 12 o'clock, we had an international service, a service in English. We had uh, a man that worked for the State Department from America, another family from America that came. But what we really enjoyed having is the, is the young people that came that were international students. So we lived very close to the dormitory and the international dormitory. And so you can see we had students from, and young people from all over the world, from Pakistan, from China, multiple uh, ones from India. And many of these were lost and did not know the Lord. And it was just fascinating how God opened a door to minister the Word of God to them and the Gospel to them. In fact, it was about a year ago, uh, coming up here in December, we had a, in our apartment for our International Student Fellowship, we had a ministry of, uh, well, what is the true purpose of Christmas? And of course, everyone, they want to know what Americans think about Christmas. So they're coming over. Maybe they're thinking they're going to hear about Santa Claus, but they didn't hear anything about that. We put the true focus on Christmas, which is what? There's a Savior who came into the world, Emmanuel, God with us, to save his people from their sins. And so we were able to share the true purpose of Christmas. And we saw God, again, do some miraculous works. In fact, that young man that's right there next to me from Pakistan, he's, he would say, Pastor Thomas, you, we have to go to Pakistan. You have to take this message to Pakistan. And I said, well, that's, that's great. We, we need to do that. I'm a little busy right here. So I'm going to give you Brother Van Gelderen's email. You email him. Brother Van Gelderen would love to go to Pakistan, right? And, uh, but no, he, uh, he's excited for God, and, and many are. And we praise God for that opportunity. And never think that, you know, if you can go to some of these international cities, it's amazing how you can use English as an open door for the Lord. It's just amazing to me. I'll share this with you. I met uh, in Bangkok. Uh, we have a ministry in Laos, which I'll share with you in just a moment. But in Bangkok, we were in a church there on a Sunday morning. And after the morning service, they have a dinner. After the dinner, they have another, uh, another service. In between the dinner and the afternoon service, I went around greeting people. And this little lady, I mean, you know, I kind of stand out there a little bit. And uh, she was about yay high, in her 80s, early 80s. And she was from China, but lived in Bangkok. And she wanted me to know that she was from China. China, and we were, and she spoke English. She greeted me in English, so we began to have a conversation. And this is what she shared with me: She said, "My great 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 grandfather came to Christ through a missionary." 
And I'm doing the math in my head because I'm thinking, okay, she's about 80 years old and, and we're going back these generations. That's going to be in the late 1800s. And so I said, who, who, do you know the name of this missionary? And she said, yes. I said, well, what was his name? She said, Hudson Taylor. And it was really amazing to hear that testimony. And what she said was, my great-great-great-grandfather wanted to learn English. And Hudson Taylor used English to teach him the gospel of Jesus Christ and to bring him to Christ. And now look how many generations have been changed because of that decision and that work. So praise God for that. Go ahead and go to the, the next one here. Here you see a young lady in the middle there, uh, Tatiana from our ministry. She did not come to a service until she was invited the third time. So first two times she didn't come, but the third time she received an invitation, she came. And uh, a few weeks later, she received Christ, which we rejoice in. A few weeks after that, she shared something with Julie that stands out in my heart. She said, you know, before my salvation, I didn't care to sing. But she said, now I just can't sing enough. I love to come to church and sing. And you know, the Lord puts a song in your heart, does he not? And the Spirit of God desires to sing out through us the glories of our Savior and of our God. I praise God for her. We were just there a few weeks ago in a Sunday morning service. And oftentimes I can hear her voice singing. She's not always on key. But God doesn't hear the song coming from your your lips right here. He hears the song from your heart. And so she's always on key with the Lord. But we praise God for her. Next, Next picture here. Uh, here you can see a young man, and I ask you to pray for him. His name is Dima, Dimitri, and his wife, Erica, their little daughter, Abigail. And uh, Dima had been an Olympic athlete and gave that up to serve the Lord, to follow the Lord. And it felt Lord calling him into ministry. And uh, he served with us in the early days of our church plant. And then as we went through all the COVID uh, time, he had gone back to where his father pastored a church. But then when I was there in June, I could tell we, we just weren't, the war wasn't going to end soon for us to continue our current ministry. We needed to travel here in the States to raise funds for our our charitable fund, which I'll share with you in a moment. So I asked Dima, would he be interested in coming to Kiev and leading the ministry of Living Hope Baptist Church? And uh, he did come with his wife and God is blessing uh, his leadership and ministry there. Go ahead and go to the next one, guys. And here uh, you see a picture of a service just a few weeks ago when I was there. Had a little around 100 people there on a Sunday morning. Many of our people, all the international students are gone because of the war. Even some of our Ukrainian people are gone because of the war. We just had some older folks that remained behind. Uh, And so Dima started holding services and and he would write me and he would say, listen, where we're meeting right now, the room is almost full the next week. Hey, we had to set up chairs. We even had, there were even, I think, some chairs out in the hallway. I said, well, let's see if we can get the hotel again that we used to use. So we got the hotel and now the hotel is about filled with people. Many of these are lost people. Many would go to the Orthodox Church. The Orthodox Church would teach teach a works-based salvation. You have to earn God's favor, merit it by how you live your life, by keeping the religious traditions. And yet, here they are in church. Why are they coming to church? Because they're searching for hope. The war has made them search. It's stripped away all the false veneer of religion, and they found no hope there. They want to hear what your hope is in, and how can we know that we trust that hope? And we've, had, we've seen decisions here for Christ. In fact, listen to this. In all my life of ministry, I've never had this happen, whether it was ministry in America or in Eastern Europe or wherever I have been. 
But Dima wrote me a note and he says, you know what, we have some people coming. And he said, they asked us to forgive them because you had invited them to come to church before the war and they had never come. And now they're sorry that they did not come, but now they are coming. And uh, I've never had, have you ever had that happen, Pastor, anything like that? It was remarkable. And we'll share more about that as we go through the slides. But, but pray for Living Hope Baptist Church. Some of you may know Rebecca Fruin, and uh, she is actually there in Kiev. She serves with uh, in the church there in music, and, and she's doing some discipleship work as well with some of the ladies. So we, we praise God for, for them. Okay, go ahead and go to the next one here. This was the original purpose that we went to Ukraine, was for Slavic Baptist Institute. And Dr. Neil Cadwell had started the institute back in 1996. Uh, he came to me and, uh, and, and shared with me, he said, you know, Brother Derek, I, I just physically, I can't continue. Would you consider following me here as the director? And so in 2013, became president of Slavic Baptist Institute. We just celebrated 25 years of ministry. And we praise God for the different pastors and, and workers in the local church that God has used SBI, Slavic Baptist Institute, to train. But right before COVID and kind of, uh, and of course the war has hindered it also as well, but we were starting starting to see a missions movement among our students. And let me share with you a couple of areas there. Go ahead and go to the next one here. This is the 1040 window. Probably most of you are familiar with that, right? And uh, you can see how it goes over North Africa through the Middle East, uh, Southeast Asia, but also I like this map because it includes Central Asia, all right? In this area, somewhere around four and a half billion people. There's seven and a half or so billion people in the world. So the majority of the world's population is here. And by the way, the majority of the unreached population of the world is in this area right here. Now, I want to share with you about a country. Go to the next one, guys, that has, relates to our Bible Institute. But here is Central Asia. You see Kazakhstan. You see Kyrgyzstan in the yellow. The next one there in the blue is Tajikistan. And we had an open door uh, to go to Tajikistan, and we took some of our male students there, and we did worked with some young people. It's an Islamic culture, Muslim culture, very difficult uh, physically to be there, very hard. I mean, it gets hot. They don't have all the commodities and things that we have here, comforts that we have here. But I want to tell you something. The need there is overwhelming, and I came away from that time as one of the most blessed trips of my life. Even though it was hard physically, I'm just telling you, I was so filled with his joy uh, on when I got on that uh, plane to come back. Do you know that Tajikistan is, around, is considered 97% unreached with the gospel? Doesn't mean 3% have been reached. It means 3% have the potential to hear the gospel. But 97% have no potential to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have two of our two students and actually a female student who are praying about the possibility of going to Tajikistan as missionaries. Pray with them about that. The war has made it difficult because Russia controls a lot of Central Asia. And right now that tension because of the war is everywhere in this area. But I'm just saying, if you've ever considered a field in Central Asia is a very needy place. And they need someone to come there and share the gospel of Christ. But that wasn't the only open door that God gave to SBI and to our ministry. I was in having a, a session with our SBI. Had a man, young man that came. He was a, 
a pastor, a church planner. He came, his name is Alex, and he, he said, listen, I've gone to some Ukrainian churches. I have a burden for the country of Laos. And he said, I, I can't seem to get the Ukrainian churches to catch the vision for this. But he said, someone directed me to you, and I wanted to know if you would be interested in helping me or seeking out beginning a Bible institute in the country of Laos. Go ahead and go to the next slide right here. To know where Laos is, Laos is right in between Thailand and Vietnam, just north there of Cambodia. It is a communist country, considered one of the top 20 most uh, persecuted nations in the world. So long story short, I had never dreamed about going there. Again, I stand out there, right, in more ways than one. But I want to tell you, God is working in the country of Laos. And so we went there, and long story short, we started the Lao Bible Institute. Next, next picture right here. So we go there four times a year. We have anywhere between 50 and 70 men uh, that will come that are pastors from all over different parts of Laos. Uh, they come from various backgrounds. Some come from Buddhist, Buddhism. Some would come from animism. But these men, every time I go there, I go there to teach them something. But every time I get on that plane to leave, I'm the one that was taught. And what I'm taught when I go there is what it means to commit to Christ. Two sessions ago, I asked the pastors, I said, how many of you have spent time in prison for your faith? And about 40 to 50 percent of their hands went in the air. One time I was with a guy and, and uh, he said, listen, many of these men, they have spent time in prison for their faith. He said, it's just amazing to me. He said, they go to prison, they're punished there. When they get out, they go right back to preaching the gospel. They arrest them again, they put them in prison. Uh, they're punished there, they get out, they go right back to preaching the gospel. And by the way, that's the commitment that's needed to get the gospel to the world today. That kind of commitment. And uh, I, I pray God give us many of those men and women here that are that committed to the gospel. But pray for the Lao Bible Institute, for the ministry there. And again, just how God opens doors uh, from Ukraine. These doors were open for which we give him praise. All right, next slide. So here you see a picture of Ukraine right before the war. And uh, you can see how Kiev up north there on the Dnieper River, uh, you see Belarus just there to the north, uh, to the east, Russia, and then down below is the Black Sea. You see the striped area there, Crimea, it says Russian occupied Crimea. Anybody know what year that took place when Russia occupied Crimea? It was 2014, that's right. If you go up the eastern side of Ukraine, you see that area of Donetsk, Donbass, also occupied by Russia in that same time frame, 2014. So really the war between Ukraine and Russia has been going on for eight years. It just came to a whole other level uh, of uh, intensity in February 24th of this year. You can see where troops began to amass on that eastern side. Uh, they're south of Kharkiv, north of Kharkiv, from the Black Sea. But what really made it uh, more uh, intense for us is when we saw Russian troops crossing over into Belarus, amassing just north of Kiev on the Belarusian border, and also much military equipment that they were shipping in from the eastern part of Russia. 
In fact, I, uh, this man that came to our services who was in the State Department, he was warning me, saying, Derek, we think it's imminent that it's going to take place. And uh, he was advising us to leave. In fact, when Julie and I did come back, uh, the American general left on a Wednesday of that week. He himself left on a Thursday of that week. And then the invasion took place uh, two, three weeks later. But that's how it looked. Now, if we were to see uh, the war in stages, they did come down from Belarusia. They almost took Kiev. They came right to the, to the precipice of, of Kiev proper, the downtown area, but were turned back. And I don't think they know why they were turned back, how they were turned back. I would give God, the Lord knows why, that he kept that from happening. But much of that region was occupied for about 30, 35 days by Russia. And then that northern part over here to the east and coming down towards Kharkiv. Kharkiv never was taken, but again, was much like Kiev, almost taken. You come down that eastern side, all of that was either occupied or, or neutral territory where a lot of the heavy fighting was. But in the last month or so, uh, Ukraine has pushed back Russia almost to areas that were uh, pre-February 24th. And there's one city right now, which is just north of Crimea, Kherson, where the, there's a probably within the next week or so, there's going to be a great battle. That's really the only major city that Russia has taken. And if Ukraine's able to take that back, basically Russia is back to the, the pre-February 24th alliance where they're, where they're at. So some of those areas, and we were just there south of Kharkiv, we're going to talk about the city of Izum. They had been occupied by Russia for six months. And they had no gas, they had no water, they had no electricity, they had not one doctor in the town. Half the city was destroyed physically. There were still, the mayor estimates, somewhere between 17 and 20,000 people there. The local Baptist church had been directly hit uh, there by a missile. Uh, the pastor was not there. Uh, I think he's gone. Uh, there were, I think, a couple of deacons who were still there. But just very, very difficult times, and we'll talk about that. Next slide. When you see some of the pictures, if you remove the color, you would think that you were looking at pictures from World War II, all right? And really, the damage that you see there is that drastic. It is really that drastic. I mean, it's, for me, some of the things we see, you just can't believe that you're looking at what you're looking at. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Uh, here you see a maternity ward in Mariupol that was hit. And you see this lady, pregnant uh, mother here on the card. I'm sad to report she died about a week, 10 days later, as did the baby in her womb. But schools have been hit. Uh, here you see a maternity ward that's been hit, apartment buildings. Many civilian locations have been directly hit uh, by Russian missiles. Go ahead and go to the next one. Here you can see a father. This is just from a few weeks ago. His, his dead son holding the hand of his dead son. So you can imagine the heartbreak that many there are going through as they lose loved ones, as they uh, lose uh, their homes, as they lose all their finances. In fact, we have a young man in our institute who's traveling and uh, he helps to disperse aid. Uh, not only aid, but also uh, different types of, of, of drugs, of medicines that are needed. And he'll go to older people who can't get out or their, their drug stores have been closed. They're living in these very dangerous regions. And he'll help to bring them aid. Well, he was doing some work in the city of Kharkiv. And they had learned of a man. His apartment had been taken. Again, he'd lost about everything. And he went and he hung himself that day. 
And when they checked with the police that day, they said this was the sixth case of a, of a suicide that very day. You see, I can understand that if I didn't have Christ, if I didn't know the hope of Christ, right, I also would be looking at this and saying, well, what's the use in living, right? They need the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, do they not? They need to hear the love of God and the forgiveness of God and eternity with God and the promise of that eternity. So uh, continue in prayer for that. Go ahead and go to the next one here. This was a city uh, area up in northwest Kiev region. And go ahead and go to the next one, guys. And you'll see apartment buildings like this just completely destroyed. In these buildings, anywhere from 500 to 1,000 people would live. They estimate somewhere around now 12 million people that have been displaced from their homes in Ukraine. 12 million. How big is Wisconsin? How many people live in Wisconsin? Five, okay. And I know Missouri is, you know, you got Kansas City, St. Louis, and Missouri is around seven. So if you took Missouri and you took Wisconsin, you'd have about 12 million people. So those two states, you would just say, look, you got to go find a place to live. Your homes are no more. You'd say, well, that would be a humanitarian crisis. Well, that's exactly what's happening right now in Ukraine with uh, housing and places. We have churches. They're housing refugees in the churches. They're keeping them there. But listen, Though it's horrific and though it's terrible, it's opening doors to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Uh, This was an apartment building in Kiev. I I was there on a Sunday in June, Sunday morning. I was in my office getting ready for Sunday morning and I heard three three explosions and I looked out through my office window and in the center of Kiev I could see the smoke coming up and uh, they had a a building, just an apartment building directly hit by a missile. Really, there's no place in Ukraine that is safe. Everywhere can be touched by a missile or be hit. Go ahead and go to the next one. You'll hear sirens going everywhere, no matter what city you're in. This lady right here, we came to her region, we preached the gospel, we gave aid. She wanted us to come see where she, where she lived. Go ahead and go to the next one here. And here is her home today, just completely gone. And she shared in her story how her nephew, uh, the missiles were flying, bullets were flying. She, she saw a missile literally hit her nephew, said he disintegrated right in front of me. I looked back towards the house. My grandson was coming out of the house. He was missing part of his arm. Uh, and praise God, he survived. But again, tragedy, difficulties. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Uh, Here you see a man weeping. And uh, if you're a man between the ages of 18 and 60, they're under martial law. You're not allowed to leave the country. You have to remain uh, to fight. Uh, It doesn't mean you will fight. It just means you have to be available to fight if needed. They might have to call you. And by the way, let me share this. Many in Ukraine desire to do that. They're not running from it. They want to fight for their freedom. And by the way, in our country, you know, we, we see so many here that are, uh, don't understand the freedoms that we've had in our country, though some of those freedoms have eroded away. But it's amazing to me, those that want to take us in a socialistic direction. Uh, listen, these people here, they remember, many remember what communism had been like. And I think what they're saying is, I would rather die fighting for my freedom than go back to communism then go back to under Russian, Russia's rule. Uh, I remember reading of a grandmother by the name of Svetlana. She was about 74 years old. She was outside practicing with her rifle. And she was saying, I am going to fight for my grandbabies. Another 80-year-old Ukrainian grandfather who went to the Ukrainian army and said, I want to enlist. 
I want to fight for the freedom of my grandbabies. Many in Ukraine want to fight for their freedom and they're doing it willingly. And it's really been quite amazing to see. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Here you can see some of the men that serve with us at Slavic Baptist Institute. They have pastors. They are pastors. They have churches. The man right there in the middle is Sergei. He is the director of our charitable fund, Living Hope for Ukraine. And our pastors, as they're spread out all around the country, we are using them as distribution points to help bring aid. But with the aid is coming the gospel. And as they go out to give the aid, they're first giving the gospel. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Here you can see um, uh, some of our younger pastors we have. In fact, the guy right there with the striped shirt on, uh, he is a doctor who studies in our SBI advanced course. He has opened a free clinic and he is helping to meet needs through that way. A pastor over there on the far right is Kolya. I'll share more with you about him. Just remember him right there uh, and what God is doing through him. He already pastors a church But believe it or not, there's a couple of church plants that are going on in the midst of war. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Here you can see a map of the country. You see up in that upper left-hand corner, Lutz, the star. That's where our charitable fund is located. And with all the trucks, those little blue dots, those are all the different places where we have helped to distribute aid in some of these multiple times. We've delivered some, helped to deliver somewhere around 1,000 tons of aid throughout the country. Uh, the yellow ones are the refugee camps that are all around the country. Those are some refugee camps that we've helped Uh, Somewhere the UN estimates uh, between around 9 out of 10 Ukrainians are at or below the poverty level. Uh, Again, caused by the war. Go ahead and go to the next photo here, guys. Uh, Here you can see at the camp there in Lutz, it was a, 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 a Christian camp for summer camp. We've helped convert it to a winter camp. We have right around 100 refugees uh, that are living here. Many of them are lost. They're from eastern Ukraine. And so guess where they were yet, or on Sunday? They were in a service there on Sunday, hearing the gospel, and some have responded to the gospel. Praise God. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Here are some children in the camp that would call this home. And uh, it's, it's hard to understand how the war has impacted. I've met children in Izum all over. Some of those kids have gone through very, very difficult times. And without Christ, uh, they're going to have some, I think, difficulties going forward in their lives. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Uh, here you can see some of our drivers that have helped drive and distribute the aid to the pastors. The one I especially wanted you to note is over my right shoulder there. His name is Vlad. And Vlad owned a trucking company. He was not saved, not a believer, but he wanted us to have two of his trucks to use. Didn't charge us for them. We could freely use them. We just had to maintain them and put gas, oil, all that kind of stuff in them. And, uh, but he himself not saved. Well, this night that, that we came, uh, we held an evangelistic meeting for the uh, refugees there at the camp. And Vlad was there. Now, here he is, this big, heavy truck driver, right? And that night when we gave the invitation, guess who came forward with tears streaming down his eyes? It was Lot to receive Christ. And go ahead and go to the next photo. This is from that next morning together. And he told me, he said, something has changed in my heart. You see, that's the power of the gospel, right? It can reach anybody at any time. It just has to be shared, right? Shared in the power of the Spirit of God. And God will bless that and take that and use that for his glory. 
And uh, I praise God for Vlad and, uh, and for the joy that Christ has put in his heart and for his salvation. By the way, if there was no war, he very possibly never comes to faith in Christ, right? And that's what I'm seeing over and over again. Though it is a difficult and a horrific time, some of these souls that have come to Christ, they possibly never come to Christ without the war. Go ahead and go to the next one. Uh, here you can see some of the meetings that we hold. So when I was just over there, we, we went over into eastern Ukraine. This is north of Kharkiv and uh, about probably 12, 14 miles from the Russian border. And uh, this village had no church. It was raining that day. It was the first time I've ever preached with a holding an umbrella and holding a Bible in one hand, umbrella in the other. And you can see people that gathered there. We probably had somewhere around on this one, around 50, 75, 80 people that gathered. We were able to share the hope and love of Christ, the gospel, very directly. And then afterwards, we give out New Testaments. We give out aid. Now listen to this. One of the people that attended this meeting came to Pastor, I believe it was Pastor Kolya, and said, would you begin a Bible study here? They want to hear more. There's no church in this community, so they're starting a Bible study. Now, who of us would have ever dreamed that during a war, there would be church planting taking place? So we can't limit what God is going to do or how God is going to work, right? We just have to follow him as he leads. Listen, he knows what he's doing, right? He knows exactly what he's doing and where, where he's going and what will happen. We just need by faith to trust him and follow him and, and let him work. But he is working. A church plant. Go ahead and go to the next one. This, this meeting right here was one of the most amazing meetings I've ever been to. This is probably about uh, 10 or 12 miles, a little bit closer to the Russian border. Many of these people that came lived in a city that was on the Ukrainian side, but close to the border with Russia. They walked across fields to come to this area, this village. So many of these are refugees. They're still close to home, but they came to this place for safety. There's no church in this village. This day that we were there, 12 to 1,500 people showed up. And we just had an outdoor evangelistic meeting. So we had singing, we had the violin, and then we had a gospel preaching message. And Bibles afterwards were given out, and aid was given out. There were, I don't know how many decisions were made. There were people that prayed. I don't know how many prayed. I, I leave that all with the Lord. But this is what is astounding to me. The mayor came afterwards. Again, I believe it was Pastor Koya, and said, listen... We want to give you a building to use for a church. Now, she's not a believer. But she was there that day. She was, that mayor was there this day. She heard the gospel this day. And uh, she said, we want to give you a building to use for a church. Koya shared, listen, we're coming, but we're not coming. We're not giving out aid every time we come. We're, we want to start and teach people the word of God. So don't, don't plan on us giving out aid all the time like this. She said, no problem. You have a building. We want you to come. I just got a note on my phone, if I could read it to you, sent to me by Sergey. But another area, very similar to this, where we've had some churches and pastors taking the gospel, and they contacted our men, and they said that it was a director, and he said, listen, will you come? Our people need hope. I don't care what you're going to preach or what you're going to teach. You have freedom to do whatever you want to do. Just come and teach our people. Give them hope. That's an open door to take the gospel, is it not? I've never had this happen before in my life or ministry with so many open doors. 
I don't want the war to be. I don't want all the horrific things that are happening to people and that they're going through. But I'm telling you, God is using it in ways that's hard for us to understand. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is going forward. And it's being preached by very faithful men and women right now in Ukraine, faithfully taking the gospel. Is there going to be a cost? There could be a cost. I know of two ladies not too far from where we were right here, just a little bit, about five miles or so north of us. A missile came across, I think, from a a Russian tank and directly hit their car. Yeah, there can be a cost. But is he worthy? Absolutely, he's worthy. And I'm just telling you again, going back to that thought, if we're going to take the gospel to the world, there has to be a commitment. If it means my death, let it mean my death. Just let his name be glorified and honored. I love what C.T. Studd said. He said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, no sacrifice is too great for me to make for him. He wrote a book. I don't know if you've ever read it, Pastor, but Chocolate Soldiers. And the thesis of his little book, pamphlet, was many Christians are like chocolate soldiers. It gets a little bit hot and they just melt, right? Well, give us more CT studs willing to die for Christ no matter the cost. But this is a little bit of what God is doing in Ukraine. Next, next slide here. This was in an area up in uh, uh, northwest Kiev region, and we've held m- multiple. Uh, evangelistic outreaches. They would have been under Russian occupation for about 30, 35 days. I I do want to share with you just one story from this meeting. Oftentimes we'll preach the gospel, have music, preach the gospel, give out AIDS and New Testaments, and then we'll stay to talk to people and just fellowship, give hugs, share more in-depthly the gospel, and again the hope of Christ directing him that direction. This day when we were here, we were uh, talking uh, with a, a grandmother and her grandson, and a little girl came riding up. This is probably 30, 20, 30 minutes after the meeting had ended. She comes riding up on her little bicycle, and she had this bottle of milk. And she said her mama and her had been there, and they had heard the preaching, and they had received the, the aid that day. And she said, my mom wanted me to bring this milk and give it to you as a gift. And thank you for coming today. I want to just share. It's one of the most special love offerings I've ever received. Some of the sweetest milk I've ever tasted in my life. Uh, just to hear, again, the thankfulness they have. To not only help them physically, but more than that. To direct them spiritually to Christ. And to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go ahead and go to the next one. Here you can see some men, we, we again passing out the New Testament, see the colors of the Ukrainian flag that are there. Uh, go ahead and go to the next one here. And uh, uh, I want to share with this woman, Oksana, just very quickly. Uh, we were there in her village. Listen to what she said when we came. She said, uh, I just want you to know something. She said, before the war, I was an atheist. But now I find myself praying to God. Now, she was under Russian occupation for 30, 35 days. She heard the missiles whizzing over her home, bullets flying, no no telling what she had to go through. But she said, now I find myself praying to God. Listen, she said, thank you for coming today. Please come back and tell us more. And she took a New Testament. Pray for Oksana, for her to come to Christ. Next one. Here you see a lady standing back next to Julie Luda. And uh, 
We had, uh, we had come to her street, her, her area, preached the gospel, invited her to a neighboring village, Baptist Church, where we were holding evangelistic meeting in the evening. She came that evening, and I could tell she was under conviction, but she told me that night, I'm not ready to receive Christ. I'm not ready to make a decision. I, had, I was asking people all over, from Laos to Ukraine to America, to pray for her. We came back in another time uh, on another trip in. We've made four trips in since the war began. And uh, again, came to her street, shared the gospel. Uh, early on, she wanted me to know that she was Orthodox because she pointed out to me her Orthodox church. She's trying to say, I'm a Christian like you, but she's understanding there's something different what you believe than what I have. We invited her again to the neighboring village to another evangelistic meeting. She came that evening, and when the invitation was given, she came forward. I'm just telling you, if there's no war, she probably never gets saved. She never understands her need. Listen, I've never had a better sermon illustration for the brevity of life than when some of those times on the east, over in Kharkiv and down in the city of Izum, while you're preaching, you can hear missiles hitting in the distance. Maybe it's four or five miles away, but everybody there can hear the missiles hitting. They know that life is short. They're looking for answers. What is your answer for eternity? I want to hear what you have to say. Next one here. All right. These are some pictures of the aid, about $7,000 per truck that we send out to our pastors. And then they take it out and with it, the gospel. Next one here. Uh, That's one of Lod's trucks that we're still using. Next one here. Here you can see one of the groups. This was in Kharkiv. We had somewhere around 800 people that stood two hours in line for one loaf of bread. But guess what? They heard about the bread of life that day. Our pastors are very faithful to share the gospel, to give New Testaments. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Uh, This was in Izum. In fact, that's Rebecca Fruin right there next to the van. We went in there. They had only been freed about five days. And people just, we didn't know anybody there. We just told them we have aid. They all just gathered. We said before the aid, we're going to share something. We took about, again, 20, 30 minutes to share the gospel and the hope of Christ. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Uh, We've visited many wounded soldiers in the hospitals. You can see the New Testament there covered with the, uh, uh, the, what's it called, the... uh, Camouflage and uh, many opportunities to share Christ. Hundreds of soldiers. God has opened doors to share the gospel with them. Go ahead and go to the next one. So pray for Ukraine, all right? Pray for Ukraine. Pray for peace in Ukraine. But listen, let me tell you this. Pray for the presence and power of God in Ukraine. His presence to be known in the hearts and lives of believers. Just share this. Believers in Ukraine, I see a revival in churches. In churches. We were in a church down by the border of Moldova. They had a group of, of, uh, of refugees that they were caring for. And we went there to minister to the refugees. And then that night, as well as a refugee meeting, we were preaching in the church. About 6 o'clock, sirens started going off, warning of the possibility of impending missiles. So I thought, well, are they going to have the service tonight? What are they going to do? Guess what? They had the service And as I was sitting on the platform, I'm looking up at the choir, and I saw them singing, and I said, maybe it was because I'd been in America so long, but these people were singing with such passion. I'm thinking, wow, they are really singing with passion. And you know what? I don't see fear on their faces. I see joy. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, at any moment, a missile could hit us here. I mean, there were sirens warning us of this possibility, but here they are singing. 
And then that evening after the preaching, they have a time of corporate prayer. And man, you'd hear people praying from up here in the, in, the, uh, in the choir loft, people down below in the congregation, they're answering each other, yes, Lord, let it be so, amen. I mean, just this corporate prayer time, and they prayed with, with such fervency. And then it dawned on me, you know what? If I believed at any moment of time, I'm stepping in eternity to meet my Savior face to face, I'm going to sing with more passion, and I am going to pray with more fervency, right? I can't think of a greater definition of revival than that. But I see this. I don't hear fear from many of the believers there. I don't hear, well, why me, Lord? There is a joy. There is a trust that God is working. We're going to trust him and move forward. One young lady in our ministry, Albina, she's a concert violinist. She left all of that. She traveled in Europe to come and work, and we feel so blessed to have her. Uh, but she shared one Sunday, I knew that they had had missiles in her area that had hit. I said, how are you? And she said this about her service. She said, all we do is we pray, we praise, and we're waiting for the second coming of Christ. I thought, isn't that how we're all supposed to be living, right? Praying unto Him, praising Him. I would add maybe sharing His love and His truth through the gospel of Christ and waiting for His second coming. I'm telling you, the Lord is working in Ukraine. Pray for God's hand of power. Pray for so many that are still have not seen the truth of the gospel. Maybe they have not yet heard the truth of the gospel. Pray for God just to continue using His servants there in power to share this message that all may hear. Amen? Amen.